everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today you're listening to episode 80 and I'm talking with Sarah Snow. Sarah is an Emmy award-winning TV producer, a news anchor, and TV host. She's hosted two national TV series, Healthy Living, for the Discovery Networks called Living Fresh and Get Fresh with Sarah Snow. She also hosted a regular segment on CNN, and in 2009, she released her first book, Sarah Snow's Fresh Living. She's an in-demand public speaker, she's a media contributor, and currently she is working for the app called Bambino, which I have a newfound love for. You guys, you can probably tell that my voice is a little rusty right now. Um, Marshall keeps saying, Mom, what's going on with your scrappy voice? Well, I have a little cold and it's about gone, so I'm going to keep this short and simple today. Um, I'm also holding my child, Russell, while I'm recording this, if you hear any background noise. But little disclaimer in here, Bambino is not a sponsor of this podcast episode. I just truly love what they're doing, and um, I've reached out to them to partner in some way, and right now it's not in the cards for them, but they are offering you guys $10 off your first your first babysitting uh, experience. And you guys can use the code ANOTHER10 to do that. We'll talk about it more in the episode as well. And before we get started, I do want to thank Kind Snacks for supporting this podcast. You guys know I love a clean, healthy, simple snack, um, and Kind Snacks does just that. You guys, their ingredients are wholesome, they're clean, they're good. And one thing I love about Kind Snacks is that they are a not only for profit organization, so they're constantly giving back. And you guys can get a sample box of Kind Snacks delivered to your door for only $5.99. All you have to do is pay the shipping. Just go to kindsnacks.com slash Lindsay. And if you're local to the Indy area, make sure you check out the Indy Mini Mini. Marshall is running it this year. Just go to indymini.com. You can get $3 off your registration, taking it down to only $12. It is a special race for kids ages 5 through 12 and they get a run on the 500 motor speedway so cool use the code another 17 to get three dollars off your registration if you are local if you live close if you want to travel whatever you want to do don't forget you guys my live show is coming up it is just three weeks away i cannot believe it i'm so excited you guys go to lindsayhine.com to get your tickets don't delay I want you to be there. I just ordered some really cool, I'll have another koozies. And everybody that comes to the live show will get a koozie. Isn't that exciting? Woohoo! All right, if you're loving the show, I would appreciate it if you would leave me a rating and review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways potential new listeners find the show. Thank you so much, guys, and enjoy this conversation with Sarah. We're talking with Sarah Snow on the podcast today, and there's so much I want to get into with you, but first of all, you used to live in Indianapolis. I did. I went to Butler, so I'm a Butler, Butler alum, and I still have some of my best girlfriends in the world uh, living in Indiana, Indianapolis from our days at Butler. I am a big fan of Butler because I get a lot of babysitters from there. Yes, I know. I was a Butler babysitter once upon a time. Well, and we actually, um, one of the schools in our neighborhood is the Butler Lab School. So we have a lot of connections there. And my father-in-law went to Butler. So um, I do not plan to send my kids to Butler unless they're in a Fulbright scholarship. (laughs) It's gotten a little bit pricey, but it's such a great school. And then I, I lived on campus all four of my years there. Um, and then, no, actually my senior year, I lived off campus, but then I continued to live in that general area. So I was in Butler, Tarkington. And then, um, my husband and I were in Meridian Kessler also before we moved to LA. Both awesome neighborhoods, um, very close by to where we're at. So, um, tell me about, I was, I was on your website and, um, Mm -hmm. we're going to go ahead and go back to the beginning because Sarah is all about, uh, green living and healthy living. And I, in researching your website, I just saw that your parents founded Eden Foods. So this dates back to like before you were even born. So can you kind of give everybody a rundown of of what your life looked like growing up? Yeah, I had a pretty awesome upbringing. My parents were just rock stars. So my dad, um, my dad trained to be a macrobiotic chef in the early 1960s. He went to Boston. He studied to be a macrobiotic chef under Michio Kushi. He came back to Ann Arbor and tried to create a macrobiotic restaurant. And it was just way before its time. You know, nobody was quite ready for a macrobiotic restaurant at the time yet. And so then he was looking into some other things that he could do. And he, um, 
partnered with a guy and they started a company where they would sort of gather, collect, create the most natural, healthy foods that they could. And they started a distribution company and it was called Eden Foods and there was a warehouse. And then eventually there was a little deli and a little co-op grocery store. Um, in 1976. So, you know, a number of years later, but when I was born, there was the little deli and the little co-op grocery store. So here I am with my chubby little two-year-old hands walking through the aisles of the little co-op um, downtown Ann Arbor and eating the raisins out of the bulk bin and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And when I was two, we moved from our little house downtown Ann Arbor to um, this house that we built way out in the sticks. And my parents really had this vision of the family that they wanted to raise, eventually there were four of us kids and that they wanted us to grow up off the land and kind of in the middle of nowhere. And so I was that barefoot kid who, you know, was always running out into the herb garden or the vegetable patch. And we grew the majority of the food we ate. We grew right there. We composted before anyone knew what composting was. And we just really lived off the land as much we could. Um, and just, you know, as very responsible stewards of the earth. And it was interesting because, you know, if you saw me at school when I was eight, nine years old, you may have gotten the fact that there was something different about me because, you know, I, I didn't really watch any television ever or listen to the radio or any of that. So I was not up to speed on pop culture by any means, but like, you know, I could blend in when I went to school. Um, but I myself knew that we were a part of something that my parents stood for something and that we were kind of a part of something bigger. And it was just such a cool way to grow up. It really, really was. When you talk about living off the land, I, I cannot remember what book this was. And gosh, now it's, is, is it Karen Kingsbury? There's someone who wrote a book about, about this. They lived, lived. Yes. Off the, is that what I'm talking about? Or was it Barbara Kingsbury? Barbara. That's what it was. Yes. Mm-hmm. What's that called? What was it called? Hold on, I can Google it. And find I know out. I was about to Google it, but I was afraid I was going to lose my train of thought when you were talking. But I read that. <laughs> I read that book. Did you find it? It's coming up. <laughs> I see. I never read that one. That one came out right on the heels of Michael Pollan's book, uh-huh. and at that point, so we could jump forward. But at that point, I was then, you know, like this had oh, Animal Vegetable Miracle. That's that was it. What it was. Yeah, it was such a great book. And by then I was in the throes of what would become kind of my second career, which was, you know, going around the world and going on national television and talking about all of that stuff. And so then there were kind of too many books coming out and I couldn't keep up with all oh, of them. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember reading that book and I was like, but I want to eat bananas year round. Like, right? like right. the whole seasonal vegetable thing really, it really did me in. Like I wasn't able to commit for that reason. So did you eat that? I mean, you ate seasonally like that growing up? More or less. Yes. I mean, you know, so then my dad's Eden Foods um, grew bigger and bigger and they were still very focused on the highest quality natural foods products. And then they started creating their own food products also. So you still, you know, you, you, if you shop any sort of decent store, although even Target carries it now, you can get like the Eden organic canned beans and tomatoes and all that stuff. So those were the products they were creating even from those early days. And then my dad um, went to Japan, studied the process for making soy milk and brought the first soy milk back to the U.S. and created the product that was the first, you know, mass distributed soy milk in the country and stuff. So we, I, I honestly, as a kid, I don't remember if we ate bananas year round or if we only <laughs> ate them you know, or we ate just the fruits that were in season. Although, you know, bananas don't really grow in Michigan. So if you're going to eat them at any point, it's not like it's a local seasonal um, fruit. Right. If you're living in the Midwest anyway. Um, But yeah, for the most part, we just ate those things that were seasonally available and that were, you know, the healthiest for our bodies. Okay. So question about this organic thing, and I'm sure we'll get into organic foods in this conversation, but um, we, I do buy uh, like uh, beans, like black beans, Eden Organics. Like when you, when I read that, I I knew the name for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I was always told in college, so I majored in dietetics. Actually, I did not go on to be a dietitian, but um, I was always told that as long as something had the little like USDA organic certification, that you could trust that it was truly organic. Tell me yes. your expertise. Yes, absolutely. So it's a, it's a whole arm of the um, U.S. government. You know, as the, as they are policing food, there then became standards for USDA organic. And when this was going on, I remember that my dad had a voice in that. He had a part in helping to 
to define the standards for USDA organic and all that stuff. And it is, it is something that you can trust. No farm can claim that they are USDA organic until they've gone through a very rigorous process. You know, they have to grow without any sort of pesticides on or near their property for at least three years. If there's any sort of cross pollination or cross, um, uh, contamination that happens, they lose their certification for at least three years until they can recertify. So yeah, anytime you see that USDA organic, you can absolutely trust that. Now there are some other labels you can't trust as easily. Some of the natural labels and stuff just, they sometimes imply good things, but it is not a guarantee of good things necessarily. Well, and what all, with all you're saying too, I've also heard like a smaller company might just not have the means to go through the process of be getting certified. Yes. Like, you know, like local, little local guys at farmer's market. Completely. Like, they tell you they're organic, but you don't know because they don't have the label, but they just can't go through the process. Yes, absolutely. So it's, it's a long and lengthy process and it's also quite an expensive process. So a lot of those smaller organic farms, it just, it, it fiscally wouldn't make sense for them to go through the process, which is the great thing about shopping a farmer's market, because unless you're willing to get in the car and drive around and visit all these farms, you have no way of actually seeing the farmer face to face and asking him questions about how he grows his things. But if you meet him at the farmer's market, you can say, do you spray your crops with pesticides? You know, what do you use as a pest deterrent? What do you use as a fertilizer? Is it only natural means that you fertilize? All those questions. And he can assure you, and you can choose whether or not to believe him. But I've really found that in general, most farmers, especially small scale farmers who are just growing great quality food, are super trustworthy people. And so you ask him, you get a gut read, you decide you trust him, and you go with that. And it's, it's yeah, they're the real deal too. They just can't afford to go through the whole certification process. Okay, I like to hear that because I've always wrangled with that a little bit. I'm always like, but it's yeah. not technically, but you want to trust him. And I like what you're saying about gut. And honestly, um, this is probably TMI for the podcast even, but I wasn't able to breastfeed my second and third children. And I used donated breast milk and a lot of people asked me, like, uh, was that through a milk bank? And it quite honestly wasn't. It was like a trust system. I looked this mom face to face and I trusted her. So, yeah. I know. You know, I mean, there there's this huge doubt in all of us, in some people more than others. And some people just have a harder time trusting people than other people do. I've never been one like that. I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt until they prove me wrong. But I, I think that we sometimes take it too far where we're not willing to trust anything unless we've, you know, done massive amounts of research or someone's wearing that that certified seal or something. But, you know, I really do believe that people are good at heart and you can find really good people doing really good things. Plus, to your point, it takes a village. It really does. It takes a whole army of ourselves and any other ways that we can kind of mini clone ourselves to get the job done any day, whether you're raising kids or you're just, you know, doing other things. And we do sometimes have to lean on other people. And I think it's really important for us to set high standards and ideals for ourselves. And especially with the food that we're eating, the way we're treating the earth and the way we're then passing on those, that messaging to our kids. But you also sometimes just have to live and let go a little bit. Yeah. So let's get into your career. You went to Butler University and you were kind of mm -hmm. talking about how you were, you fit in, but you weren't doing all the pop culture things. Um, how did you decide that, you know, TV and, and that kind of stuff was right up your alley? Well, it was what I always wanted to do. I always wanted to be a morning news anchor, um, which is really interesting considering I grew up in a house where we really didn't watch television. But as a kid, I would do these fake radio shows and, you know, have a have a microphone and I would try to get anyone to walk by and stop so I could talk to them and interview them for my fake radio show. And um, I, I always just pretended I was on TV and it was what I wanted to do. So I went to Butler from Ann Arbor because um, the dean of the theater department told me that no one had ever done it before, but if I wanted to work hard, I could graduate with two degrees, theater and telecommunications, which is like the TV media end. They call it something different now. Um, but I could do both paths and graduate in four years. And I really didn't want to spend more than four years in college because I just wanted to get on with life. But I wanted a degree in both of those because I had done at that point a lot of theater um, but I didn't grow up in one of those big high schools where they had a TV station or even a radio station or anything. So I felt like I needed to keep going with the live theater track and add in the television end of things and that the blend of those two would position me perfectly to then be an on-air anchor. 
So I, I did those things. Um, and then I graduated college. I had four great years at Butler. Um, I graduated college and typically the route you take if you're going to be a neuter and you go to the tiniest town that will take you as a reporter and you work your way up. And so you're generally moving every six months or something. And I said, well, you know, I don't know. I'm just way too plugged into the people and the earth. And that just doesn't feel sustainable to me to be moving every six months. So I decided I didn't want to do that track. And I instead took a job as a producer um, for corporate videos. And then shortly after that, I started producing for ESPN. And here I was like 23 years old and I'm a woman and I'm producing these um, sports century documentaries for ESPN and traveling all over the country. And I'd show up in towns and the men who were the photographers would look at me like, how are you going to tell me how to shoot this interview or whatever? But I felt like if I got experience as a producer, it would again help me do a better job with my on-air work. So I went sort of a non-traditional way to get at what I wanted to do, which was about oh, five years out of college or something. I had my, no, three, four years out of college. I had an offer um, to do an on-camera gig for the Fox 59 morning show. And I started as a reporter um, with Fox 59 and their newly launched morning show um, covering the like teen and youth scene. And I worked my way up and um, did anchoring for the morning show and was a weather anchor also. And so I did that for a bunch of years until finally, um, at this point I was pregnant, but I felt like my health was kind of taking a dive and this might be TMI, but you shared. So I'll share <laughs> <laughs> at this point I was pregnant, but I was, I mean, I was married, but I was having a really hard time getting pregnant. And so I had all these doctors say to me, well, it's because you're getting up at two 30 in the morning. Mm. And it, and I think that here, my super peaceful, healthy upbringing was just, um, you know, things had been shifted enough that my body wasn't reacting well. And so I had to leave what was my dream job. I was finally a morning news anchor and do something different. But I said, you know what, if I'm going to go on TV every day and talk about something, why not make it that thing that is the most important to me and what was, you know, what my entire upbringing was about. And that was healthy, natural living. And it was at a time when people were just starting to ask questions about organic milk and should I be getting organic milk for my kids instead of the regular milk and just all those questions. So I created a show that was sort of the Martha Stewart of green living, the 101 of natural living. And within about two weeks of us creating this pilot, the Discovery Networks called and offered me a, a show deal. And I ended up hosting two different series for the Discovery Networks, uh, Living Fresh and Get Fresh with Sarah Snow. And then I wrote a book and Bantam Publishing, which is a division of Random House, published my book. And um, then I all of a sudden I was all over the country speaking to huge groups and um, corporate events and expos and doing cooking demos and um, talking about how to um, create a healthier, greener home for people. And um, it, it, at that point, my career was, you know, really taking off and it was a lot of fun. And I felt like I was also doing a good um, it was a way of honoring my dad for all the hard work that he had put in also and all the work he had done to create the products to put into the hands of the people so they would start asking these questions. And then I got to go out there and talk to especially women and moms about how they could have healthier and more sane home lives, essentially, and create healthier families. And it felt really good. It was pretty awesome. That is so cool. And my first thought is when you created that pilot and pitched, like, tell me what that process looks like. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, it also was just like a step of faith because you have no idea, you know, people create show concepts every single day by the millions sure. and they just, they don't get picked up. So I felt very blessed. I mean, it was the right time. I just happened to be the right person at the right time. Um, but if we go back a minute to when I was doing the ESPN shows, I was working with a production company that was based in Indianapolis. And so I had a couple contacts still for people who were producers, you know, the, the photographers, the lighters, the producers, all that stuff. And while I was no longer a producer and I was on camera host at that point, I went back and a good friend of mine who lives in Indianapolis, Matt Mays, um, is still a very accomplished producer, lives in Indianapolis still with his wife and their two kids. Um, awesome guy. And I said, Hey, Matt, you want to help me shoot a pilot for the show? I think that it has legs. I know the content. Let me just put together what a typical episode might be like. And so I fleshed out what a typical season might look at like in terms of, you know, here are 
eight example episodes. And then he and I got together and we shot a pilot. Um, and another friend of mine was working alongside me as a sort of co-producer on that pilot. And we created this concept and then um, sent it out there by way of some contacts that Matt had and the Discovery Networks said, yeah, we love it. Let's do it. That is so awesome. What year was that? That was 2006, I think. Okay. So, yeah. okay. So 11 years ago. So, mm -hmm. so you began speaking all over the country. I see Good Morning America on here. Like what, who is one of the coolest people you've ever been interviewed by as far as like, oh my gosh, he or she's an icon. I can't believe I was interviewed by them. Yeah. GMA was a pretty cool moment. That was pretty awesome for me. Um, and that interview was done by Sam Champion, who was the weather guy, which kind of made it double awesome because I had been a weather anchor. Um, and that was really fun. Um, oh, gosh, I don't know. Just any of those those moments just felt so surreal, especially when I considered where I had come from and, you know, this this house out in the country and how I had just such a humble upbringing because my parents just wanted us to be rooted to each other and to the earth. And, you know, like I never even watched TV. So <laughs> I was not, I was not like the person who knew about all these things necessarily, but uh, you know, I'd had that other part of my career in news and stuff. So that, that was super cool. So were you like, mom and dad, I have to buy you a TV so you can watch me on TV? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, at this point, they had modernized a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, so then you move out to LA. Did you do that before or after you launched the show? That was after. So then I'm doing the show and I'm all over the country and yet I still can't get pregnant. And then it's because obviously I'm never home and it takes two to tango. So <laughs> then, um, eventually I did finally. And, and I had this offer for this other TV show that I was going to do, and it was going to be a daily strip show, which means a Monday through Friday, every day talk show. And I kind of felt like, well, this is the apex of a career. Like, you know, this is what you work for. But I had an agent who was saying, I don't think this is the right time. I don't think this is the right thing to do. And I remember going back and forth and back and forth with him and saying, how could I say no to this? Why would I say no to a daily talk show? And he said, I just really don't think it's the right move or the right time. And I think you should say no. And so finally, Ryan, my husband and I were on um, a trip. We were on like a long weekend getaway. We were down in Mexico. And I remember having a conversation with my agent in the hotel room and saying, okay, I trust you. I believe you. I'll say no. Let's say no. Deal's off the table. So I hang up with him and I go out to the pool. And I remember slipping into the pool and feeling like the weight of the world had just come off my shoulders. And I think it was the first time since my career had started building that I'd said no to anything. Mm. Because when you're young and you're building your career, saying no is the kiss of death. You say yes, and then you figure out how to do it. And I had sort of built this career on say yes, and then figure out how to do it. And it was the first time that I had said no. And that weekend I got pregnant. Oh my gosh. After seven years of trying and seven years of unexplained infertility and seven years of doctors and acupuncturists and all these other naturopathic doctors and stuff saying, we don't know why it's unexplained infertility, unexplained infertility. And then I, um, all of a sudden got pregnant because I said no. And so then, um, I just started slowing down and I realized, okay, this has all been awesome and amazing, but if I keep doing it, I'm not going to have a family and I'm not going to have this other thing that is so important to me. Um, and so I just started slowing down and then I shifted and, you know, I, and then we moved to LA and we moved to LA for Ryan's job. Um, and then I had a second child. And so I, I now have two little girls. Um, but I kind of felt like, you know, if I went back to all of that, to the degree at which I had been doing it, I would have lost out on, you know, the other riches of life, which is my husband, my kids, my time with them and all of that stuff. So I really just, um, made a very intentional and I can't say that it was easy at all times because I, as, as, as a lot of moms do, I went through that phase of, oh my gosh, my life came to a screeching halt when I had a child. No one told me this was going to happen. Um, and then, you know, really came to peace with it. And now I, um, have some other awesome things that I'm doing and it's just, you know, a, a real shift in focus, a shift in priorities. And I love my life more now than I did when I was doing all that stuff that I thought, thought was so incredibly more important than anything else in the world. So how old were you when you had your first baby? 
let's see. When I had Sylvia, I was 30. Why did numbers always escape me? I think I was 34 when I had Sylvia. Okay. 37 when I had Isla. And so what does life look like now? What are you doing career-wise? Yeah. So now Sylvia is seven. Isla is four. Sylvia's about to start second grade. Isla's about to start her last year of preschool. Um, they're both in school. And, you know, when you have little kids, you kind of those those early days, those early years of them always being around are lovely, but they're long and they're slow. And then suddenly they go to school and you're like, oh, what should I do now? <laughs> so two years ago, right before we moved. So we were in L.A. And then we had great friends in L.A. And a friend approached me and said, hey, I'm starting this company. It's going to be a babysitting app. And I want you to partner with me on it. And I said, oh, sounds awesome. I'm a mom. I'm all about speaking to moms. I've always been speaking to moms, but I think we're moving across the country. So I can't think about anything else yet. Let me get my family moved and settled and figure out schools and all that stuff. And then we can talk. So we moved from the, the, from LA to the East coast and we're now in Connecticut, right outside of New York city. And I'm in one of these towns where people take the train into the city every day. And it's a coastal town. So we're right on the long Island sound. It's a beautiful place to live. Um, and after I was settled for a bit, this friend called me again and said, okay, what about now? Now you're settled. So what about now? So um, the company is called Bambino and it's a babysitting app. And um, it, it, it's an app that connects parents to trusted parent recommended babysitters that are right there in their neighborhood. So the idea is to recreate the whole parents find the sitter who lives right down the street. But the problem is that these sitters aren't just hanging out in their front yard anymore. And parents aren't necessarily walking up and down the sidewalks quite so much anymore. So the connection to one another doesn't happen as easily. And the sitters aren't like hanging the flyers or putting those in the mailboxes like they once were. So again, the connection just isn't happening as easily. But what we found is that parents feel most comfortable hiring a sitter they've never met if that sitter comes with a recommendation by a friend of theirs. So, you know, my friend, Jill here in town has two girls about the same age as my girls. If she loves a sitter, then I'm like, great, I'll love them too, because our girls are similar, our situation is similar, all that. So it's recreating that. So right now I'm running marketing for Bambino and it's across the country. So I'm running national marketing for this babysitting app, not something I thought I would be doing a few <laughs> years ago. But it's, you know, like that's that's what life is about. Life takes twists and turns, and I still feel like I'm speaking to moms. And encouraging moms and helping moms to find a saner, healthier way of doing things. And if that means taking a two-hour break once a week or every other week to get out and helping them find the means to do that, which is connecting to some easy local parent-recommended sitter right there, then that's a good thing. Well, and... I'll be completely transparent here. I email. I actually picked up the phone and called Bambino because I used you guys for the first time. I used you guys for my, our anniversary, mm-hmm. and I I had heard about you from a local uh, swap page, like a garage sale site that somebody mm-hmm. had posted. And so I said, I'm going to download this app, and it was so easy and so user friendly. And I saw literally five moms that I knew or knew of that had recommended sitters on it. And yes. Yes. It was just exactly what you described. And I, we, we had a awesome babysitter, Ava. She came and watched the boys and, you know, I, I have a regular babysitter that comes to the house once a week. And anytime I bring in someone that's not the regular girl that I have to explain everything to, it is a little bit of like a more to do, like, you know, you have to explain all the stuff, but totally. the fact that it was so convenient, like I literally requested five girls at like 10 p.m. on a Tuesday and I woke up in the morning and had two people that had accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I was like raving about you guys on Twitter and then I was like, I should call them because they would be a perfect sponsor spot for my podcast. And so this is funny and I'll just say this because we're talking business in this podcast as well. Um, I was actually at my friend Sarah Holsapple's house. I said, I really want to reach out to them and um, I'm going to send them an email to see if they're interested in sponsoring. And she's like, um, no, you need to pick up the phone and call them. So I did. And uh, I talked to your owner and we just got to chatting and then I got connected with you. And um, it's funny because when I called and like pitched my show to see if you guys wanted to sponsor, it was Sean that I talked to. Yep. And after like 15 minutes, he was like, well, by the way, I'm the owner and the founder. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh, great. Well, you're the perfect person to talk to then. But um, I love I love that you guys are trying to figure out this revenue model that you guys don't take any cut of what we're paying the sitters. Yep. Right. So right now we, yeah, we, we are not, we're not making money at all on what's happening across the country. We're really just trying to grow the app, um, and make it available to people everywhere. Um, it is, like I said, it's a national app, um, which by the way, so if someone listening wants to check it out, you go to the, it's, it's available now on Google play and also, um, in the app store. Um, and it's just called Bambino sitters. So you could go to bambinositters.com and you can find a link to directly download that. Um, for parents right now, we're still creating the parent version on Google Play, um, but both versions have been up and running um, in the Apple App Store for quite a while now. And those are the ones that we really built the platform around and we're just now adapting it for Google Play. Um, but you, so you download the app and you'll, it's, it's, everything is done by proximity. So parents and sitters both have to log in through Facebook. And we do have some people come back and say, but I don't have a Facebook account and I really don't want one. And I understand that completely. I get that people are off of Facebook. They don't want anything to do with Facebook maybe, or they just don't want to be bothered by it, but it's another way of authenticating identity for us. So it, it is another small way of proving that you are who you say you are when you log in. But the, what it really does it, is it allows you to connect immediately to your friends who are already in the app. So as a parent, you log in and you immediately see those friends of yours who are already in the app. And then you can see who your friend's favorite sitters are. And like my example with my friend, Jill, and then you can say, okay, there's my friend, Susan, and she really likes these sitters. So I know that I'm going to like those sitters. And it's just that way of finding those sitters without having to text all your friends and say, I'm in desperate need of a sitter. Does anyone know anyone? Which is also awkward because sometimes the friends don't want to give up oh, the yeah. sitters names. You keep those and that's tight. awkward. The other thing is it's such a time saver because to your point, you send out one sit request and you can send it out to three sitters or you can send it out to 23 sitters or however many you want to. And then you just wait for the responses to come in and you confirm one of them. So it dispenses with that courtesy of sending a text to one sitter and having to go through the, hi, how are you? It's been a while mm -hmm. since I've seen you. Just wondering, would you be available to babysit Friday? And then you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait and wait. And maybe they respond right away. But maybe they take like 24, 36 hours to respond. And in the meantime, it would be rude to text another sitter while you're waiting to hear back from that first one. So this dispenses of that whole courtesy of having to wait. You just send the sit request out there and then you confirm one of the available sitters. Um, so it just makes it so much easier. But, um, you know, I mentioned that it's a national app, but it really every single area where a parent or a sitter is has a local feel because you only see the parents and the sitters who you're friends with who are right there. And as a parent, you just see sitters within about 10 miles from you or five miles from you, depending on how many there are around you. Um, so it's it's got that real local feel to it, which is really important. And then let's say you're a parent who lives in Indianapolis, but you go up to Traverse City every summer. You can change your address when you get up there and then you can book the sitters who are up there. Um, and you, you know, you could have your whole other community up there. So you can use it to find sitters when you go to Disneyland or when you go to Naples, Florida at Christmas or something like that. Um, and it just by changing your address and plugging into the community of that other place where you are. So this is a game changer. Let me ask you this, because anytime I explain it to someone, they say this to me, how's it different from care.com? Okay, here's how it's different from care.com. Uh, one thing is care.com, you have to have a membership and a subscription and all that stuff. And it can become costly, especially if they might not want to list themselves on care.com. Um, this, there is no fee whatsoever to download the app and there is no fee whatsoever to create an account and as a parent, start booking sitters and as a sitter, put yourself out there as a sitter. Um, the other biggest difference is that with care.com as a parent, if I'm looking for a babysitter, I can scroll through the profiles of some different sitters and I can look them up and I can even, you know, see a little bit about them and stuff. But I, I have no idea if I have a direct connection to them or not. So they're all virtual strangers more or less. When I lived in, in LA and I was looking for someone who could babysit my girls periodically, I turned to care.com because it was what I knew. And, you know, it was what other people were doing. And it, the whole process felt so off putting to me because they were all strangers. And how was I going to let a total stranger come into my house? 
with our app, you see your friends who have already used them. You see the friends who say, oh, she was great. She cleaned up the dinner dishes and she got my kids to bed on time. Or she threw the, the or he kicked the soccer ball with my son and then read books with both of them before bed. You know, like you hear those specifics that your very own personal connections are saying about these sitters. So it doesn't feel like a stranger that you're inviting into the home. And for the sitters, they can see the connection also, so they don't feel like they're going to a total stranger's house either. So, okay, two follow-up questions with that. Um, what's the deal with, like, background checking the babysitters and whatnot? Yeah, so everybody, um, every single sitter, before they can have their first sit, they have to um, – put in, you know, so that they can get their money paid to them into their bank or their Venmo account. So there's a little bit of a background check that happens there. We also have the option for any sitter over the age of 18 to go through an extensive background check. We pay for it. It doesn't cost them anything. So we pay for every single sitter who wants to, to go through the background check. When you look at a sitter's profile, you see different icons and some of them are highlighted, they're lit up, and other ones are um, sort of grayed out a little bit more. Um, and those will say like, you know, she's great with basic meal prep, and that's a sitter saying, you know, choosing which icons to highlight and which ones to gray out. And those will be things like reliable transportation, good with meal prep, good with infants, different things like that. And then there's a there's a background check logo there also. So if that one is highlighted, it means that they have um, gone through that background check. But the other thing that we have is what's called the verified label. And that's like this little thing that looks like a blue ribbon stuck to their picture in their profile for the sitters. And that shows how many sits they've completed through Bambino. So if I see a sitter and she's got like a number 14 in that verified thing that I'm like, you know what? She's great because if she weren't great, she wouldn't still be doing sits for Bambino and she wouldn't still be on here. So that's another way to feel like you know, they've been not, they haven't necessarily gone through that formal background check, though a number of sitters have, but they've gone through that parent background check where parents keep having them back and keep booking them as a sitter. So, you know, that feels pretty good also. Well, it seems like to me, um, I doubt there's any sitters listening to this podcast because my demographic's a little bit older, but mm-hmm. it seems like to me, there's no reason not for them to do it if you guys are paying for it, the background check. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes it's just a matter of them asking for it and them saying, Hey, I want to do the background check. If they hear from parents, if, you know, if, if keep in mind that it has to be a sitter over the age of 18 to do a back background check. Mm-hmm. But if you have a sitter who you meet and you say, you know what, you're really awesome, but I know that my friends would feel more comfortable booking you to come watch their kids. If you were background check, checked. So all they have to do is message, um, Bambino, Bambino will set them up. They do the background check. It doesn't take much time at all. It's just like, you know, going through a whole series of questions and stuff. And then the company that we employ to do this runs the check on their background and then they can have that. So sometimes it's just a matter of a parent suggesting it to them also. Man, the other thing is, so I was scrolling through the babysitters and there was a, there was a man there, like a 19 year old. Yes. And my husband and I were talking and I was like, I'm passing him by literally just because he's a dude. And he was like, oh, yeah, that guy's getting profiled left and right just because he's a guy. And it's like, how do do men overcome that, you know, stereotype? And it's totally sexist of me, but I've got three little boys and it makes me nervous. Oh, see, that's really interesting because I live in a town where the the boy babysitters are getting booked as much as the girl babysitters. Really? They're all. All these friends of mine who have boys at home are like, oh my gosh, I've never found a boy babysitter before. And they'll show up, you know, 18, 19 year old high school students and they'll show up and they'll play sports with the little boys and they're awesome babysitters and they can still load up the dirty dishes in the dishwasher and read a book before bedtime. Like they're great sitters. It's really interesting to me. I was kind of surprised by it, but I love it every time I hear it. I have all these friends who book the boy babysitters sometimes more than the girl babysitters. I, and I guess that circles back around to just the whole refer, like referral thing as far as seeing other right. moms who have booked them. Because I think it just makes me more nervous to have a man or boy or whatever you want to say. I mean, I'm talking about like a 19-year-old kid come up to your right. door that you've never right. met to watch your kids um, opposed to like a girl, you know, I don't know. It's just, I mean, it's totally me being sexist though. No, but I hear what you're saying. And I think honestly, um, 
it's a lot of times it's because the parent who's hiring the babysitter knows the parent of that 19 year old kid, Mm, you know, like your kids might be young, but you might have some friends or acquaintances who are also parents, but their kids are older and their kids are the babysitters. So if you know the mom of the 19 year old boy, you're like, Oh, he's such a sweet kid. I see him at church on Sunday mornings, or I see him in the ballpark all the time on Saturdays or, you know, whatever. And then you feel comfortable with it. Yeah. The other thing that we didn't touch on is the payment through the app. Did you find that that was like made life so much easier? Yeah, Because you take a picture of your credit card and that's that. And, and and I felt so much better, honestly, after I talked to, to Sean that, like, you know, because we were talking about, I think the babysitter we paid was $12 an hour, which for three little, I mean, my kids are a, 10 months, two and a half and five. Like that's a really good price to pay. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, oh, I feel bad because she's probably not getting the full $12 an hour, but she was. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The, the sitters set their rate and they say what they want to make and they can set their rate, whatever they want it to be. Now, of course, we encourage them to make it a competitive rate so that they'll get booked. Like, I don't want a 14 year old trying to charge $20 an hour because no one's going to hire them for that. (laughs) Right. But they get to set their own rate and say, this is what I want to make. And they keep a hundred percent of that. And so then there are parents who, um, say like, oh, well I had, you know, my kid had a friend over, so there was an extra kid here. How can I pay them a little bit more just to, um, you know, make them feel good about the work they did or whatever. So when you go in to confirm payment, um, the sitter stops the clock and then you get a text as the parent saying, confirm payment. And you go in and you're like, yep, she showed up at six and yep, I got home at 1030. And if you wanted to, you could toggle on the time a little bit to add in a little bit more time just to pad it. If you you know felt like you wanted to more or less tip them, give them a little bit more money. So some people do that. Um, and it's just also a way to say like, oh, she showed up 15 minutes early. Let me start the clock at 545 instead of six o'clock, make sure she gets the full amount. But you're right. Absolutely. They get the full amount. All you do as a parent is link it to one of your credit cards. So when you said you took a picture of your credit card, that was your way of then it captured the data and now it just charges your credit card and then it goes directly to their bank or their Venmo account. It's so simple. And you know, we all used to be hitting up the ATM on the way home. Oh, and so annoying. Then you're doing the fuzzy math in the car and you're like 12 times how many hours? Wait, I'm doing this wrong. And you're like and second you, guessing your math. <laughs> well, and if you go to the ATM, it's like you can only get out 20. So then 20s. you have to either yep. overpay or ask them for change. And it's just, it's not fun. I know anytime I get a babysitter, um, and before I found uh, Bambino, I was like, I just always ask. I'm like, do you take Venmo? Do you take Venmo? And I mean, just in today's day and age, too, like these garage sale sites on Facebook where people are selling stuff, like I don't understand why people aren't just doing it all online. Venmo is so yeah, I know. easy. So my regular babysitter, I, that's how I pay her through Venmo. You are Venmoing. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because as we launch around the country, the way we launch is by having a community manager in each community. So Indianapolis has two community managers, Heather O'Brien and Carolyn Nichols, and they're both awesome. And that's why you see so many great parents and so many great sitters in the app because they've gone through and really like handpicked the sitters for the app in that area. And this is true of all over the country where a community manager recruited these great sitters into the app. But it was interesting in talking to the community managers in different parts of the countries where some of them were like, oh, no way, Venmo? Sitters aren't going to be paid through Venmo. (laughs) And then, you know, they talked to a couple people and they're like, oh, I had no idea. People were already paying their sitters through Venmo. So yeah, that was already happening, at least with the smart people who had it figured out and everybody else was still scrambling for cash to writing, God forbid, writing a check to your babysitter who looks at it while doing this. I know. I actually, we didn't have checkbook for the longest time. And I, we recently like ordered some checks because we had some maintenance work being done on the house and the guy that was doing it like only would take cash or checks. I was like, Oh dear God, I guess I'll go get some checks. Right. Totally. Oh, man. Well, this has been really fun talking about Bambino. And and, um, I'm excited about what you guys are doing and excited about the opportunity it's provided me to uh, find babysitters on the fly. Because that's another thing is I have a hard time uh, committing to things sometimes. And I like to wait till last minute because I like to be like, well, like, have we been really busy or did I get enough sleep last night? Was one of the kids up a lot? Um, I don't want to commit to going out until like day of or the day before. And this really helps with that because if you hit up your regular people, they usually have plans already. 
No, I agree with that. And you know, when you did that, if, if you're like me, then back in the old way of finding a sitter, I would on a Monday text my sitter, you know, one or two of them and say, I'm not sure I'm going to, but if I decide to, would you want to babysit right. Friday night? And then you're like, oh, never mind. I decided not to go out. Well, that's, you know, kind of bothersome to them right. also. And I'm with you. I wait until like Thursday until I really decide if we're going to feel like doing this thing on Friday and then book my sitter. And then there are other things where we've already bought the concert tickets or something. And so I book further in advance, but it works either way. The other thing is we recently, Bambino recently launched a thing called Suggested Sitters. And there's a little box that you'll see every time you put out a sit request that says, would you like us to help you find an available sitter? And what that means is you might send out your sit request to five sitters and on the chance that all of them are already booked, we will, through an algorithm, look at the types of sitters you did. So we'll take into account the proximity, um, the rate and like the, uh, the, um, age range. Are they junior, advanced, standard, elite sitters? And then send it out to a few other sitters. That that goes out to a few other sitters. And so sometimes you get a text back saying, um, you know, good news, so-and-so is available. And that's one of the people you, you um, requested. Other times you'll get a text message saying, good news, we found you an available sitter. And that alerts you to the fact that this is not one of the sitters you requested, but it's a sitter very similar. And then you just get to tap on their profile and read about them. And then you see, oh, my friend has already written a recommendation for that person. Oh, wait, two of my friends have already written recommendations for that person. But it's not a sitter who you even knew about before. They weren't in your network. And now they are. And so it's just another way of helping to um, come closer to guaranteeing that every single parent finds a sitter every single time through Bambino. So good. Well, I just wish you guys all the best with that for sure. Um, we have to move on because you probably have other things to do today. I'm sure like <laughs> five more calls. Um, <laughs> but thank you for explaining all that. And I know that there will be tons of listeners that are downloading it as we speak. Guaranteed. Well, as um, another word of thanks, I'm going to offer a coupon code for any of your listeners. Let's see. Should I call it? I'll have another. How about just another? Would that work? Yep. There will be a coupon code. It, all you have to do is type in promo code ANOTHER10, and that'll give you $10 off your first sit through Bambino. I'm creating it right now, and so that'll be good. Awesome. And that's a lowercase a? Um, doesn't matter. Okay. Doesn't matter. Another 10 and you get $10 off your first sit. Love it. Thank you so yep. much. Okay. Um, okay. So I have a couple of green questions. I know this is like circling back. I have a couple of green questions for you. And then, um, I always wrap up the podcast with some end of the podcast questions, some fun questions. So we didn't talk too much about the green and healthy living, but I want to tell you, I'm one of those people that is like, I'll go all in for like a month. And then I'll, and then I'll be like, oh man, I'm just going to like buy these terrible chips or what, you know, this terrible product. Um, so I think I'm probably very similar to, um, I don't know, a lot of people in my age range with kids, you know, young kids, but there are certain things that I am hardcore. Mm -hmm. Like I buy organic milk, you know, I will buy organic grapes, like any of those like dirty dozen foods that they talk about. Um, I'm hardcore about. But can you tell me, like, what are your diehard, like, this is what you got to do. These are the things that you should buy organic, you shouldn't buy organic. Um, and then as far as, like, cleaning supplies as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so first of all, let me give you a little reassurance that I'm like that too. Okay. We all are. We, You know, we go on juice cleanses and we're super gung-ho and we're like, that's it, no more junk food. And then you, you know, you get comfortable or you slip one time and it just tasted so good and so then you buy it again or something. So even I do it. It's okay. We all do it. Um, but I would say a um, couple things on what you should always buy organic. Always, always, always milk always buy organic milk. If you're, you know, if you're a dairy family, then make sure your milk is organic. Um, and try to make sure your beef is grass fed and, um, your eggs, your cheese, those things. But especially if you're a family who's feeding your kids milk, like glasses of milk, sippy cups of milk, make sure that's organic. Um, milk actually freezes. So if you're on a budget and, um, you go to the grocery store and it's on special and you can get the big thing of organic milk on special, bring it home and put it in some smaller containers and put it in the freezer. Milk freezes just fine and defrosts just fine. And that's a way that you can, you know, cut costs a little bit. Or if you're a Costco shopper and you buy in bulk and you're worried it's going to go bad. 
Um, then I would say, look for the dirty dozen list. The dirty dozen list is put out by the environmental working group, um, every single month that, or I'm, I'm sorry, every single year they put out a new list for the, the 12 cleanest and the 12 dirtiest fruits and vegetables in terms of pesticide exposure when you go to eat that fruit or vegetable. So I think that's a really good thing for people to look at. Now, again, this isn't like a diehard. You have to only buy the things that are on the cleanest list. But this is, if I look at that list and I say, yep, we eat a lot of these three foods and those are pretty dirty, I'm going to make sure I always buy the organic version of those. And then the, the foods that you don't eat as often, you don't eat as much of, don't worry about that so much. But those things that you're eating all the time, like if you're a big cereal family or a big bread family, buy those organic because that's going to have the most bang, makes the most difference in terms of the, you know, the, the majority of the food that your family is consuming. Now I have to be honest. I never think about bread. Well, grain, wheat in particular, um, carries a lot of pesticides. So mm -hmm. it is something that people don't think about, but it does carry a lot of pesticides the way an apple would or something like that. So it actually is one of those things that makes sense, makes Ooh. a lot of sense to switch to organic. Oh, and you know, man. even if you're, I know, but it's okay. <laughs> don't beat yourself up for what you haven't done yet. Just, you know, you can start with the baby steps still today. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause I buy that like... I. I, I love sourdough or rye or I buy that like oat nut bread. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I think it's brownberry or I don't know yep. what the brand is, but I definitely have not seen an organic label. And I feel like I don't see organic labels on bread very often, to be honest. I don't know. Start looking and okay, you'll notice that there definitely are some. I will yep. for sure. Um, and that's the other thing is like, like grapes I know is always on the dirty dozen list. And so I don't buy them very much because organic grapes here in the Midwest, at least are very expensive. And so every time my son goes to like my in-laws house, they always have grapes, always have grapes. And I know that they are not organic. So he always comes home wanting me to buy grapes all the time. And I'm just like, I'm just, I'm not going to do it because they're so expensive. No, you know what, Lindsay? I'm with you. I totally agree. They're, you know, you'll go somewhere else. Someone will have grapes. Your kids love them. They come home. They want more grapes. But the organic ones sometimes are really expensive. And then sometimes they'll go on special. Right. But, yeah. you know, you pick up a thing of grapes and you don't think much of it. And then you get it to the scale and it weighs like eight pounds right. or something. And and it can add up. So, yeah, it's just a matter of going and seeing, you know, what the organic blueberries are on special. So that's the one we're eating this time. Yeah, totally. Okay, so I have been recently, I've been uh, purchasing beauty counter makeup from my friend Brianna. What kind of makeup do you wear? I wear a variety of, you know, different things that I'll try here and there. Beauty counter is excellent. I know the founder of beauty counter. She created a really top notch, um, high quality performs well, but super clean ingredients product. It's excellent. It's excellent. It's based out of LA. So when I was living there, um, you know, it was just starting to be created. So I know Greg, um, very well. And I know some of those first reps who were first starting to sell it around the LA area before it really spread across the country. It's a great product. So you should feel very good about buying that. Oh, sorry about that. Juice Beauty is another one that is a great company. They um, have been around for a really long time and they create a really clean, excellent product product again, performs really well. But for a long time, I think not a lot of people knew about them. Now Gwyneth Paltrow is one of their spokespersons and puts a face on that brand. And so it gets a lot more recognition. And Gwyneth Paltrow is actually a Bambino fan. She wrote about Bambino in her this and that goop newsletter, which was really exciting. So, um, that's another one juice beauty. Um, and what else? There's one other one that I feel like I use a lot. You know, Another product that I like, and I'll mention this because it's an Indianapolis company, is Amber Blends. Okay. Do you know them? I don't. She makes just essential oils. So it started out that it was those essential oils with the roller ball, and you could, you know, it was just a scent. And now she has a face tonic and a couple other products also. But it's another just really nice, pretty, smells great um, product. Not skincare so much, but um, more body. Okay. Let me ask you this. Um, I have been <laughs> highlighting my hair for like the past, I don't know, let's see, after I got married. So I don't know, like eight years. And I'm slowly like phasing out of it, mostly though because it's too time consuming to keep up. Do you put any hair color in your hair? Yes, I do. All right, here's here's my take on that. Okay. 
One, they say that dark color is worse for you than light. Um, I don't know that it's entirely true, but I think it's because it has more dyes in it, whereas light is essentially just bleaching. The other thing is doing highlights is definitely much healthier than doing overall color. And here's why. When you do overall color, and especially when you do like home color where you might go to Target and buy it and bring it home and put it on, you're rubbing it directly onto your scalp. And so it's being absorbed in. When you do highlights or you have it painted on your hair, it's just touching the hair. It's not touching your scalp. So you're breathing in the fumes and you might have some skin exposure, but the skin exposure, and you know, we know that skin is the largest organ in our body and 60% of what we put on our skin is absorbed into our bloodstream. So we want to avoid skin exposure in large amounts to anything that might be toxic. So when you do highlights or you have it painted on your hair, hand painted on, foiled in, whatever, um, that's less skin exposure than if you were doing um, uh, all over color. Okay. Well, maybe you're convincing me to keep doing it then. (laughs) I know. I'm I'm trying to make you feel better. (laughs) I I phased out a little bit and I'm still doing like some low lights, but um, well, it's also the time consuming because you, once those highlights on top grow out, you got to get back in quicker, you know, and then you're sitting in the chair for like two hours and yeah, um, it is time consuming for sure. Okay. Um, last healthy living, green living question, and then we'll do end of podcast. What about cleaning products? Cleaning products. So there's so many great natural cleaning products that are out there now. Um, I would say, um, avoid bleach in the household because it's pretty nasty and there's no reason to use bleach and or antibacterial cleaning products. You really don't need to. If you're using hot soap or hot water and soap, you're doing a great job. Um, and so then look for like Ecos makes a laundry detergent that I've been using for about a decade. And it's the best smelling laundry detergent. It's called Ecos Magnolia Lily. It's all I use and it's natural. Um, Honest Company makes some really good cleaning products also. Their laundry detergent, their dishwasher, their cleaning products. Of course, Seventh Gen. Um, a whole bunch of other ones. There, there just there are enough good natural cleaning products out there that you know you shouldn't need to be using the chemical filled stuff anymore. Um, and then of course vinegar and water goes a long way. So fifty fifty ratio of white distilled vinegar and water in a spray bottle can clean your entire kitchen on any given day. Fifty fifty white distilled vinegar and water. Yeah, so you want to use distilled white vinegar because A, the smell will dissipate more quickly, and B, if you use like a balsamic, oh, right. which you wouldn't, but a balsamic or a red wine or something like that, it you run the risk of maybe staining a marble countertop or something. I think that what I run into is I buy the toilet bowl cleaner that's like definitely like bleach stuff, and then... Um, Anytime anybody's sick in my house, I'm like Lysoling everything because God forbid every single one of us get the stomach bug, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, you don't want to be spraying Lysol all the time. You don't want to be using those Lysol wipes all the time. But on those occasions where you feel like you really need to give it a good strong once over, it's okay. And then open the windows, even if it's winter time, open the windows, let some fresh air in. Fresh air works wonders for clearing out germs. Um, and also know that vinegar is a really powerful disinfectant. So uh, 100% vinegar instead of 50-50 ratio um, can work wonders also. Like especially if, if you've got a toddler who's chewing on everything and then they get really sick and they get better, take all those toys and dunk them in a vinegar bath and disinfect them that way. Okay, good, good suggestions for sure. Okay, Sarah, what's one thing professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet in life? <gasps> Oh, what's one thing that I would like to do? I mean, I would still like to be the host of the Today Show. Okay, that's a really good goal. <laughs> you want to be you want to be up there with Matt Lauer? That's right. Yeah, that's good. Um, what's the best, most recent, or one of the best, most recent books you've read? Oh, that's a good question. I read a lot. I love to read. Um, right now, I'm reading like. I'm generally not one who reads multiple books at a time, but right now I'm reading fiction and nonfiction. And I kind of, you know, I read one in the morning and one in my free time, which, you know, there isn't much free time. (laughs) Um, um, Oh gosh, what's a good book I've read recently. Hold on. That'll come to me in a second. Um, But on the nonfiction side, I just finished um, a book called the way they learn. 
And of course I have young kids, so I'm all about, you know, trying to create the best sort of environment for them. And this is a book that was written like in the eighties and there is not another book that has surpassed it in terms of, you know, hitting above it when you search on Amazon or even being more parent recommended than this book. It's a really great book. The way they learn, it just breaks it down to like every kid has to go to the same type of school, but they don't all learn the same way. So how can you help your kid learn um, in the way that is according to the way their brain works, essentially, so that they can have a successful year. It's really big. And, you know, my daughter's only going into second grade, so it's not like she's a high schooler and I'm reading this. I'm reading it just because I, I find it fascinating and I want to help her. Man, um, we were just talking about this because, um, you know, all the magnet schools and all this going on here in Indianapolis and I'm sure other major cities. And because the Butler Lab School here is Reggio-based, it's kind of like a Montessori in yep. a way. And yep. Right now, our our son goes to a private Catholic school, but we'll probably go back to one of the, the uh, Reggio-based schools. And it's like, man, if one of your kids learns that way really well, but the other one doesn't, you really, truly might end up splitting your kids up to different schools, you know. But my point to my husband was um, so much of that also comes from what you're doing to reinforce at home, you know. Totally. So yep. I'm interested in reading that book. Yeah, it's great. And I also think that, you know, we can, of course, be our child's advocate and we can go to the teacher no matter what the school type is and say, hey, you know what? I think he might learn better if you were able to stand up at his desk instead of sit down. I was just talking to a mom about that this morning. And this teacher put in a stand-up desk for this child because that child just is a kinetic learner and needs to be moving and standing when learning instead of just sitting and being sedentary. And that child had such a better year that year than in previous years. And that's just in a, you know, typical excellent school, but just a regular old public school. Yeah. All the same. And so, you know, teachers are, teachers are amazing people. They're skilled, they're trained, they know what they're doing, but they sometimes do need to hear from the parent that I think that my child might do better if we try this Yeah, and just have that conversation. I, yeah, I hear that. And I, I mean, even little things like I, my son does not like when I drop off, it is a much more dramatic drop off than when my husband does. He's very clingy to me. And I, I did have to say to totally. the teacher, like one time I would, I say, um, he just needs like human touch. And if you can mm -hmm. kind of grab his hand while I'm leaving, instead of me kind of just throwing him in at the wolves, not all kids need that. And he has been dropped off at childcare for years, but he needs an, the authoritative figure to physically grab him or touch him and hold, guide him to what's going to happen. And, and I think I needed to say that to her without being, yep. you know, too pushy. Well, and I think sometimes the caregivers, the teachers are hesitant to reach out and, and you know, grab the hand of a child because not all children like that, mm -hmm. to your point. Um, it's, it's, I, I sort of equate it to, have you ever been the woman on an airplane struggling to put your bag in the overhead, but you want to think that courtesy or chivalry is dead because there, none of the men around you are offering to help. But I think that they're just hesitant to step up and say, can I help you? Because there are enough women out there who would be like, no, I'm fine. I can do it myself. Mm, totally. Same thing with, with kids, you know, and my oldest daughter is the exact same way. If I'm handing her off and especially when she was younger, she would have to go directly from my hands to someone else his hands. You know, she just needed that physical reassurance that someone is still here taking care of her. And so same thing, all of her years in preschool, she had a really hard time leaving me when I would drop off. Um, and you know, for my husband, it was a completely different and much easier goodbye for her. <laughs> mm -hmm. What is that? Dads are just like, see you later. I know. I know. And they're I, fine with it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Same here. Okay. Did you figure out what one of your other books was? No, we'll go with that one because that's a really great book. Okay, awesome. If mm -hmm. you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? Mm. Oh, just love. Like give up on the hating and the criticizing and the constant, constant critiquing of everything around you and just chill out and love each other. Good. Do you have any favorite nonprofits you like to support? Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. There's one called the Organic Center. I sat on the board for a really long time. They still do a lot of research into organics and helping to encourage the message of it so that people understand what organics are and what they should be buying and all that stuff. Another one called Vitamin Angels. I sit on the board of Vitamin Angels. It's an international organization that gets 
life-saving micronutrients to the people who need it the most. So, you know, people in other parts of the globe who just don't get the nutrients they need from the food that they eat from their everyday diet. Um, that's a great one. And there are um, some really great organizations doing things with microfinance that I think is really incredible. I took a trip one time to Kenya and with a microfinance organization. And when you see the difference that even $20 invested in someone there makes, um, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Um, and not to name any specifically, but a big um, love and campaign of mine personally is literacy. And I think because I do love to read so much, um, but it's, it's staggering to realize how many people will graduate high school right here in our own country and not be able to le to read, just not have the basic reading skills that we expect our kids to have by the time they leave kindergarten. Um, so any of those literacy based nonprofits, um, I really appreciate and like to support as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for giving me all these recommendations. I Vitamin Angel sounds really awesome too. I'm going to look that up as soon as we get off the show. Oh and yeah, check it out. It, it's it's a great one. It's really awesome. And um, we will get going, but we didn't mention your book that you wrote. What's that called? Oh, that's called Sarah Snow's Fresh Living, the Essential Room-by-Room -room Guide to a Greener and Healthier Family and Home. It's quite a mouthful, but it's basically a room-by-room -room guide to creating a healthier home. And we will put that link to that in the show notes as well. Okay, Sarah. Well, you enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thank you, Lindsay. You too. And again, for your listeners, they can use promo code ANOTHER10. Um, they'll tell me that you came by way of the I'll Have Another podcast. And if you use ANOTHER10 as a promo code on Bambino, you'll get $10 off your first sit that you book with Bambino. Totally worth it. Check it out, everybody. Okay, Sarah. Thank you and have a great Monday. Thanks, Lindsay. You too. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening today. Thank you, Sarah, for talking to us. You guys can find everything we talked about in the show notes. Go to lindsayhine.com. Hey, and if you're following along in the book club, we are reading the book Option B for the month of September. You can join our group if you go to I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine on Facebook. We have a really awesome group going there. You guys can also follow me on Instagram, lindsayhine626. Twitter at Lindsay Hine, and we have got a Facebook page as well. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. Thanks for bearing with me today with this like crazy thing going on with my voice and with my baby sitting with me while I record my intro and outro spots here. I've been single momming all week because my husband is out of town with his family, and um, I just did this when I can, when I could. And right now, that means sitting in my closet at 6 p.m. with my baby right before I put him to bed before I tackle the big boys at bedtime. So. Anyway, you guys have a wonderful Friday, have a wonderful weekend, and as always, I'll see you next Friday.